As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, the show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On today's episode... Not a lot, really. Nothing much happened in the world of Chelsea these last few days, did it? I'm kidding, of course. It's all happened, and we'll dissect it all. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight out of Cobham. Blimey, what a weekend, eh, listener? Luckily, I've got just the two people to help us work through it all. Joining me, Matt Davis-Adams, are two of The Athletic's finest. Good morning, Simon Johnson. Good morning. And fresh from Wembley, Liam Toomey's with us too. Poor Kepper. He wasn't he wasn't warmed up, was he? According to Gary Neville. <laughs> Good morning. We'll get to that. Uh, Chelsea did play a cup final this weekend, as Liam alludes to, but we're not leading with it. Something seismic must have happened then. We'll reveal all next. The Carabao Cup final overshadowed by events on Saturday night as Roman Abramovich released a statement on the Chelsea website announcing he was giving trustees of Chelsea's charitable foundation the stewardship and care of the club. Abramovich, who will remain the club's owner, has made the move amid Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, They then followed a second statement on Sunday morning, hours before the cup final, which read, The situation in Ukraine is horrific and devastating. Chelsea FC's thoughts are with everyone in Ukraine. Everyone at the club is praying for peace. Uh, Further reports on Sunday then claim that the trustees of Chelsea's charitable foundation have not yet agreed to take control of the club. They are Bruce Buck, Emma Hayes, uh, the club's director of finance, Paul Ramos, British Olympic Association chair, Sir Hugh Robertson, FARE, that's Football Against Racism in Europe, Chief Piara Power and lawyer John Devine. Uh, as well as Simon and Liam, Adam Crafton's been reporting on this for The Athletic. You can read his thoughts on the subject on the site now. Uh, as we are on, on Monday morning, Liam, where are we all at with this? Why did they release the statements when they did? How did they go down? What's the fallout been? <laughs> it's a lot of questions. I'm not sure I can answer all of them. Um, uh, Chelsea are in a fog at the moment, at the very top of the club. Uh, the, the The statement on Saturday was was light on detail and it's since emerged why because it wasn't Abramovich passing control over to the trustees of Chelsea's charitable foundation it was him kind of signaling an intention to do so 
nothing has actually changed. He retains full control, full decision-making power. Our colleague Adam Crafton reported in an excellent piece that's um, live on The Athletic right now that the trustees didn't have anything to do with the statement on Ukraine. Um, so they are not yet calling these sort of big picture strategic shots that that, that, that we were that we were told initially when the statement dropped. And several of them have serious reservations about, you know, potential conflicts of interest or just simply the sort of perception that they could be being used as cover for for Abramovich. So this is this is a very difficult situation. It it seems now that I mean it, this all happened very quickly on Saturday. My understanding is that this decision was communicated by Abramovich sort of down the chain on Saturday, um, and everyone sort of scrambled to react as as often happens at Chelsea when when Abramovich decides something. People weren't given a lot of notice, and it now appears that this wasn't particularly well thought out because there are all sorts of potential issues with the foundation trustees um, taking over and to what extent are they even taking over? Um, so it, it, it's all very uncertain. You know, Tuchel and the players at least have been satisfied that nothing on a day-to-day level will change. Marina Granovskaya is still calling the shots on the football side. Um, Guy Lawrence, the chief exec, is still running the business side of the operation. So day-to-day, Chelsea haven't been sort of functionally destabilised, but there's kind of an existential um, level of uncertainty now around Abramovich's ownership and, and the very top of the club. Simon, it's, it's easy for me to say this now on Monday morning as a not particularly intelligent person rather than a highly qualified lawyer or somebody who's worked at the top end of a football club for years. But might they have been able to placate this situation a bit by just releasing a statement saying something along the lines of the Russian invasion of Ukraine is dreadful, our thoughts are with the people of Ukraine and and that was it. And then kind of work out what is actually happening internally and, and offer some clarity on it rather than a kind of muddied statement that, that didn't really mean much. I think it exposes the sort of the, the sort of calamity of the situation that that what the, the way it's been handled. I think you could sort of potentially. It's hard to read people's minds, but it, it does sort of seem to betray that thinking isn't very clear at the moment. That there may be a little bit of panic going on. Why Russia wasn't mentioned specifically? Look, we haven't spoken to the people that came up with that statement, but it does feel like it's a very sensitive issue given the the owner's nationality and perhaps I haven't spoken to him, but you know, perhaps there's a little bit of nervousness about being seen to be critical of Vladimir Putin. Um but it just seems like a bit of a mess. And the fact that the trustees are sort of that it's that it's not been all discussed with them beforehand. That it, they, they sort of seemed as much in the dark about what was going on as as, as we all were, and, and are being are playing catch up like we are. Um, it just yeah, it does expose the fact that it's not been handled very well. So it seems like uh, this all stems, Liam, in, in large part from the Labour MP Chris Bryant uh, saying in Parliament that, that he wants Roman Abramovich stripped of his assets, including Chelsea. Uh, it, 
it, was that the biggest factor in, in what we saw happen on Saturday night? And, and how likely do you think that is? I mean, obviously, we're not political or war correspondents, but but clearly that's got Chelsea rattled just by, by the nature of the statement. It's amazing the things you end up talking about covering Chelsea. Um <laughs> So the message coming out of Chelsea, you know, when the when the statement dropped on Saturday was that this is not in response to to any potential sanctions that Abramovich might might face from the British government. Um it's it's purely to kind of put distance between the club and any negative headlines that Abramovich might be might be having at the moment. I'm just not sure I believe that because Abramovich has been Chelsea owner for 19 years and there have been plenty of negative headlines about him in the British press over the course of that time about a variety of different things. And some of those things he's he's challenged in court. Some of them have, have kind of gone unchallenged publicly. Um, this is the first time that he has seen a need to do something which even if, as we've discussed, it doesn't functionally change the way Chelsea operate on a day-to-day basis, on a pure appearance level, it's a drastic move. It's a it's a really significant thing to 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 kind of take yourself as the owner a step away from from something you've been so closely associated for all this time. And I just don't really understand why Abramovich would do that, unless he at least sees the potential for another shoe to drop. And, you know, this all happens at the end of a week where he's been mentioned in Parliament with MPs publicly calling for him to be, you know, stripped of Chelsea and have assets frozen and, and all sorts of other sanctions. I'm not going to pretend I, I know what's what's coming next, you know, where, where, whether he is actually ultimately going to face some sort of sanction. But this move suggests to me and we we can't go on about Rich's words because he doesn't generally say a lot. But this suggests to me, in terms of his thinking, that he at least thinks there's a distinct possibility that something could be coming down the line here that could affect him negatively and could affect Chelsea negatively. And this feels like a sort of preemptive move in that regard. What about the impact on Thomas Tuchel and the players, Simon? The the timing of the announcement hours before a cup final it doesn't seem ideal from from their perspective it, Tuchel spoke very well I thought in his in his pre-match press conference about the situation in in Ukraine and actually he handled it quite deftly on Sunday as well but but internally is he is he angry about what happened did the players feel that it distracted them from Sunday's game I, I think I think during the week there was definitely an awful lot of concern not not just about what was going on at how this sort of affected Chelsea, but I just think, like like all of us, just concerned about what was going, what is going on in the world. Um, when I was sort of speaking to people on on Saturday, um, I think they were in um, sort of cup final mode. Um, that if anything, the sort of cup final was a pleasant distraction from the. They they could almost sort of have to put that to the back of their minds as best they could. Um, also, that from from the sort of the, the conversations that were being had, there was a lot of reassurance that nothing was was technically going to change. I mean, there was such such a furore about oh, what does this statement actually mean? But you have to remember that Abramovich has been pretty much uh, sort of a, a, an absentee owner for the last three years anyway. 
Marina Granovskaya has been running Chelsea along with obviously now technical performance advisor Petr Cech, um, Guy Lawrence doing the business side as we've discussed, the chief exec. So when it actually boils down to it, because the initial panic, I'm sure we're all the same with Chelsea fans, journalists, we all reacted the same, like, oh wow, like this is amazing, like, this is seismic, what does it mean? But when it actually boils down to it, nothing's really changed at the moment. Um, Abramovich still owns the club, he can still invest in the club, but he's basically getting other people to run it. And that's basically what's been happening anyway for the last few years. And I think we saw with the performance, and we'll, we'll actually get on talking football at some point, but we actually saw with the performance that the players clearly weren't affected negatively um, by it. Um, because that was one of their best performances of the season, even though it was only a losing cause. So I, Tuchel's obviously painting a picture that everything's fine. I'm sure there's a little bit of uncertainty. I don't want to make out that the, the players and the coach are completely happy, but they're making the best of what is a very uncertain situation, like we all are at the moment. Yeah, very uncertain situation. I'm sure there are people at the club who are glad that it was Thomas Tuchel who was answering those questions and not yeah. Jose Mourinho or Antonio Conte <laughs> because, I mean, who knows what would have happened then. But just quickly, Matt, isn't this just, you know, without wishing to sort of put sunshine in a certain place, but but Thomas Tuchel is just another great example of why Thomas Tuchel has just been a, a, a gift for, for Chelsea, not just in terms of his um, trophy-winning a record and the job he's done as a football coach, but he, he basically Chelsea can just let him almost deal with any subject, and he and he handles it with pretty much aplomb. So um, I thought he spoke very well on the Friday. He spoke very well post match Saturday uh, Sunday. Um, yeah, you're right. You know, great person to have uh, at the helm, and 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 again, that perhaps explains why why Chelsea played the way they did because he was able to get the players focused on what was a very big game. Please sign my petition to change this song. We've got Super Tommy Tuchel. He knows exactly what we need. Diplomacy. <laughs> uh, a further twist to this on Monday. A spokesman for Roman Abramovich told the PA news agency, I can confirm that Roman Abramovich was contacted by the Ukrainian side for support in achieving a peaceful resolution and that he's been trying to help ever since. Uh, there's lots more to this statement. It also says Roman Abramovich has been trying to mobilise support for a peaceful resolution. Although Abramovich's influence is limited, he's the only person who responded and has taken it upon himself to try. If this will have an impact or not, I don't know, but I'm in contact with Zelinsky's staff myself and know they are grateful for his genuine efforts. Uh, it's going to rumble on and on this one. And of course, The Athletic will be the best place to keep abreast of the latest developments. All right, next up, let's talk about some football. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. He's got to score. The Chelsea goalkeeper, Ariza Balaga, steps up and lifts it over the top of the goal frame. He sent that miles and miles and miles over the goal. He's missed Chelsea's 11th penalty and Liverpool have won the 2022 League Cup. Well, Sunday saw Chelsea and Liverpool contest the 2022 Carabao Cup final. What an epic contest it was. No goals that counted, at least, after 120 minutes. So we went to penalties. Everyone took one, but it was Kepa who was the unlucky man. His penalty landed in my back garden earlier this morning. Uh, Liam and I and producer Lucy were all at Wembley for it. Let's hear Liam's post-match thoughts live from the National Stadium. So the Liverpool players are being serenaded by their fans in front of me, bouncing on the pitch. While to my left, the Chelsea players have just broken up from a huddle uh, where I think Thomas Tuchel said a few words, a few parting words. And now they're heading back in towards the stand. Um, I think they probably will stick around to watch Liverpool get, lift the trophy and, and get their runners-up medals. It's, uh, it's a difficult day in the end, particularly for Kepa. He was he was kind of um, enveloped by his teammates after missing that penalty. Chris Waddling, that penalty. That's not the reason he was brought on for the shootout. In hindsight, you know, the, the plan backfired when he failed to get near nine of, Ch- of Liverpool's first ten kicks, really. Um, it shouldn't have got to him to have to take one. But what a game. Uh, a game that, you know, for a couple of hours helped us forget the crazy state the world is in right now. Uh, Tuchel said, you know, that he might go into this maybe with a little bit of a bad conscience. I don't think anyone here actually felt that way during the game because it was so intense. So entertaining, so many incredible chances missed for both teams. I think I'll be seeing offside flags in my sleep um, after the sheer number of disallowed goals. Thomas Tuchel cut, must have covered about 14 kilometers in aborted celebrations. It was, it was the Hagler Hearns of, of nil-nils. And if you don't get that reference, do yourself a favor and look it up. The extra time was a bit different. Both teams were clearly exhausted. Uh, and it seemed like, you know, at one stage or another, they both kind of settled for penalties. It's Liverpool have emerged on top, which is probably the outcome that most people would have wanted. Um, but I think Chelsea fans can take pride in the way their team played. And now as they file out of the stadium, um, the, the thoughts will return to everything that's happened around this game with... Roman Abramovich and the uncertainty around his ownership going forward. Well, Liam, you've had a bit of time to reflect on it now. I mean, what a game it was. Surely the best nil-nil you've ever seen live. And Chelsea played really, really well in the match, as did Liverpool. It was just a thriller of a final. Yeah, I mean, I, I must admit, you know, as I was travelling to Wembley, one of the last things I saw as I was scrolling Twitter was 
Vladimir Putin dusting off his nuclear weapons. And that kind of affected my mindset <laughs> going to a football match. I was in a very weird headspace, but the game brought me back. Um, you know, it, especially being in the stadium, it was very easy to forget the the kind of crazy things that are going on outside for those few hours. It was, it was a remarkably fun game. Like you said, the most entertaining nil-nil I've ever seen. Um, I think Klopp described it afterwards as two lions going for each other. I mean, I, just in terms of two teams having multiple flurries over the course of 90 minutes and each having moments where they were on top and the other one was on the ropes. You know, I, I said in that voice note, it was the Hagler-Hearns of nil-nils. I mean, it lasted a lot longer than Hagler-Hearns, but it was it was just as much of a of an incredible tussle. And the only thing that was lacking really was the finishing, wasn't it? Chelsea missed some glorious chances in the first half, which I think, you know, at half-time you would have been looking at it saying, if Chelsea don't win... It's because of that Pulisic miss and, and in particular those two Mount misses. As the game went on, Liverpool had some pretty damn good chances as well. I mean, Mo Salah threw one-on-one, sticks in the mind immediately. Um, and I just felt at the end of 90 minutes and at the end of 120 where, I mean, it felt like both teams were exhausted an extra time. Um, it no longer felt like it was just purely a case of Chelsea's missed chances. I mean, you, you look at the XG, Matt, um, it was astonishingly close, about 1.8 for both teams um, without either of them scoring. And it just it just felt like, yeah, one of those games that essentially ended up being a coin flip. And when you get to the point in a penalty shootout where goalkeepers are taking penalties, it, it absolutely is a coin flip and it went Liverpool's way. Uh, Simon, Chelsea left ruined those missed chances. Also, the VAR lines. Uh, we're not really supposed to criticise referees these days, but I thought Stuart Atwell was absolutely atrocious in this game. Naby Keita could have been sent off twice. Yeah, there's reason for Chelsea to have grievance with some of the officiating. Well, which was the worst decision? <laughs> Ask Trevor Chalaber and, and get him to show you the six stitches in his thigh this morning. Yeah, I mean that was a sh- that was a shocker. I mean, I, unfortunately, I wasn't there, um, despite many attempts to find means to be there. Uh, but it meant that I got to sort of listen to the coverage of it. And again, similarly, like you don't want to criticise officials too much. You don't really want to criticise people that work in the media um, too much. But I must admit that I, I found the coverage somewhat bizarre. They kind of the commentary sort of kind of brushed over. I mean, the Mason Mount one, you sort of go, mm, okay, maybe, mm, you know, I, I can kind of see that, I can see the other side of the argument, put it that way, that that perhaps perhaps you could say that the catering is sort of running motion. Uh, you know, it was, it, you've seen that happen before and, and someone get away with it. But the, the one on Chalibur was an absolute disgrace, and it was kind of brushed. Oh, yeah, yeah, nothing, nothing to see here, nothing, nothing. It, it took several hours after the game uh, for them to sort of, for Sir Jamie Carragher and coach to go, yeah, yeah, sort of having seen a few replays, yeah, I, I think, I think that may have been a red. <laughs> Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank was sitting there, very outnumbered by the uh, the Liverpool contingent, sort of going, um, yeah, that's a red card. Um, it was a disgraceful, disgraceful challenge. And, of course, for the game, 
the arguments are it's a cup final, and you do wonder whether the officials are kind of like, oh, it's a cup final, we don't want to make any, we don't want to be the story and all this kind of malarkey. But yeah, VAR, baffling. Then then you get on to what would have been a great moment for Romelu Lukaku. You know, all the criticism. I actually thought he came off the bench and, and did well. You know, he, he sort of showed, certainly had more touches than he had against Crystal Palace. And and he looked he looked a threat. He looked like he had some physicality about his performance, and and he scored his goal brilliantly. And then you saw that how quick was that review? <laughs> like there's there's VAR review. No, no, it's offside and play on. It was really weird. It was just um, and then he saw the still image. Very very. Um, you can understand why Thomas Tuchel felt hard done by afterwards. Um, I get why. People kind of like the fact that it, there wasn't a controversial decision to cite the game in terms of in someone's favour. I mean, Liverpool argued that, that of course, they had a goal ruled out because of Van Dijk being slightly offside and, and blocking a player in, in, in their goal. But, yeah, I, I just didn't think it was... It was almost like they decided before the game was kicked, we don't want to make any decisions to become the story, but they ended up becoming the story. VAR has broken me at this point. Um, I, I feel like Winston Smith at the end of 1984. I, I've, I've won the victory over myself. I, I love VAR. Um, it, I don't know what the right decision is anymore on any given instant. I just remember when that Chalabur situation happened, just sitting there going, is it a red? Is it not how the rules applied? I have no idea. Um, it, yeah, it, it's just... It's it's a ridiculous state that we've got into with the rules and the application of the rules and this crazy godlike uh, AI system <laughs> that is still operated by flawed humans. Um, but final thought: what an absolute bosh Trevor Chalaber is. Six stitches. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure where they went, but it was a pretty sensitive area. <laughs> and not only did he finish the game, he scored his penalty as well. Uh, so full credit to him. Yeah, he scored his penalty in some style. And, and again, you know, we've mentioned it a lot this season, but his turnaround, incredible. Three three years ago, four years ago, 2018 FA Cup final, he was an unused sub, but it took him three years after that to make his Chelsea debut. He comes in here in place of the injured Christensen and, and had a really tough game against Luis Diaz, who was excellent, but he more than matched him. Um, Simon mentioned the subs there in terms of Lukaku. thought Werner added quite a lot when he came on too, uh, but we've got to talk about the Kepa for Mendy change, Liam. It's a subject of your post-match piece uh, in The Athletic. I'm with you that it was the right thing. This, this has got producer Lucy's backup. When when she writes in all caps in the um, in the shared doc, you know that she's got a strong opinion. She's put, <laughs> his attempted mind games before every single penalty were ridiculous, three exclamation marks, should have been booked. Um, so I think we know what Lucy's take on it is. But, but why are you a defender of this decision, Liam? Because it's the same thinking that underpins every aspect of this team that Tuchel's built. It's the reason why Tuchel and Chelsea got here. It, best process. The The result might change, but you do the right thing based on the information you had at the time. The The hilarious thing about this is that, you know, there are, there are two logic over emotion decisions that Tuchel made ahead of that final with his goalkeepers. Emotion said Kepa should start. 
He was Chelsea's keeper in the League Cup every single round. If you were making an emotional decision, like Jurgen Klopp did with Kevin Kelleher, by the way, uh, which he admitted afterwards, you would have started Kepa. No, Tuchel said Mendy's our number one. On current form, he's one of the best goalkeepers in the world. I'm going to pick the best goalkeeper to play arguably the, the most explosive attacking team in Europe. Uh, and it paid off and he was praised for it because Mendy had an excellent game. It was clearly the right decision based on all the evidence he had. He then made another logic over emotion decision. Kepa's got a much better track record. It's not even close um, at, at penalties than than Mendy is. Mendy is not an asset. I know he saved one in the Africa Cup of Nations final. I could have saved that penalty. Um, and, you know, Mendy's a brilliant goalkeeper in most aspects. He's not proven to be a significant asset in those situations. Kepa has. Um, and so it made perfect sense for, for Tuchel to bring him on. He also brought on Jorginho, who scored his penalty. No one mentions that, you know, because this is just... this At this stage, I don't really know why we're still talking about these sorts of things in 2022. And this is fairly common practice now from coaches at the highest level to bring on players specifically for penalty shootouts it's a luxury if you've got penalty if you've got substitutes left over any marginal gain you can get in a shootout is potentially decisive um and Tuchel thought Kepa could give them that now he didn't partly because Liverpool's penalties were absolutely brilliant and you they also won the mind games with him you've you've got the the Fabinho Penenka and then the Van Dijk blast into the side of the goal that Kepper was standing on. <laughs> those those kicks are back to back, two and three. And then later in the shootout, you have Harvey Elliott, who wasn't even in the match day squad for Liverpool and is eighteen um, until Thiago Alcantara got injured. Comes on, Kepper's trying to pull the Van der Sar trick on Nicholas and Elka from two thousand and eight of pointing one direction and then diving the other to try and psych out Elliot. Elliot just blasts it that way anyway. So Liverpool answered every mental test. I know I understand producer Lucy being annoyed by Kepper's antics. Um, I know a lot of people were, and it added to the glee that many felt um, at, at Kepper's ultimate fate. But he embraces his role as the kind of pantomime villain in those sort of situations. It can work, and it has worked in the past. It has put people off. It, I, to me, I don't see a problem with it. I think it's all part of the game. It makes it more fun. Um, and Liverpool were more than up to it. And in the end, the, you know, if he saves Ibrahima Kanate's penalty, Liverpool's 10th kick, which was the one bad penalty Liverpool took, and he should save that, then Trevor Chalobah has the chance to be a hero and we're all talking about a different outcome. And this is what most people do. They judge the outcome, not the process. Tuchel is all about processes, which is why he stuck with that decision afterwards. Any significance, Simon, in the fact that Liverpool won both tosses? So they got to take the first pen, which I think statistically means you're more likely to win the shootout and they got to kick in front of their own supporters or is that not really a factor? Again, it... it it feels that way because they won. I just feel like there's far too much captain hindsight about penalty shootouts. I just found it laughable, all this, all the criticism, all the credit, oh, Tuchel got it wrong. This is the guy that is the the best penalty saver. He's got the best record. He overtook Petr Cech earlier this season in, in shootouts. The guy, he won two knockout rounds for Chelsea uh, in penalty shootouts. 
it, the super cup. I, I'm just, it, it just baffled me. And the fact is, Kelleher didn't make a save either. I mean, he didn't have to. <laughs> like, someone in the crowd had to make a save. Um, look, Ke- Ke- Kepa's penalty was obviously what ended up costing him. Um, as Lynn rightly pointed out, the Liverpool's penalties were pretty ridiculous. Like Mendy, to make out Mendy would have, whose who's record is, I mean, no one was more shocked than I was and more delighted when he did save one in the AFCON because he's not got close to anything in a Chelsea shirt. Um, I, I just I just found the Kepa pile on. It was kind of like, oh, 2019. It was all wrapped up in that. You know, Jamie Redknapp getting on his high horse about it. Um, I, I just found it all very, very bizarre. If you want to criticise a Chelsea player, you criticise the guys that should have avoided penalties in the first place, the guys that couldn't f- hit the target from six yards for the goalkeeper to beat. You know, those are the guys that should be under the scrutiny. Um, I, I just, I felt, I understand, you know, foot, I know the way football works. You know, people like to have a laugh and a joke and, and, and laugh at people that miss penalties and, and so on and so forth. So I, I do get it. But I also have quite a lot of sympathy for Kepper because he's he's done more than anyone, more than any goalkeeper to to make penalty saving a, a almost a, a 50-50 thing for a goalkeeper. Um, in his eyes, he can save every penalty that's, that faces him. But unfortunately, Liverpool's practice must have been brilliant because um, they were they were superb penalties. And you know, it, it sometimes I just think. We read so much in penalty sheet outs, it, it, it can be a bit of a lack of the draw, you know. It's if the keeper dies the right way on some of those, he saves them. If he doesn't, they look easy to score. It's uh, I just find too much too much analysis, too much criticism is made of shootouts when it's a bit of a lottery. Just to your question, Matt, I think the one way you could maybe argue that Liverpool winning the toss to kick in front of their own fans helped was with their own penalties. It clearly didn't affect Chelsea's penalties, maybe with the exception of Kepa, because I think Chelsea's penalties were excellent. And in the stadium, you could really feel those Liverpool fans doing everything they possibly could to make it as intimidating and distracting as possible. Maybe it affected, maybe it boosted the quality of um, of Liverpool's penalties because I remember them giving like an encouraging clap up to the up to the ball for Canate in particular. Um, they they were really willing it, but again, we have no tangible evidence for that. Tuchel made the decisions he did based on actual evidence. Well, Chelsea got another cup to contest later on this week. We'll have a quick look ahead to the game against Luton next. So Chelsea go to Kenilworth Road on Wednesday night to contest the FA Cup fifth round against Inform Championship side. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. 
Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Luton Town, first time since 1991 that the team's have met at Luton's home ground. Chelsea beat Luton in the FA Cup last season in Frank Lampard's last game. Uh, Simon, does Kepa start this one? <laughs> I got it wrong last week, didn't I? I, I was, I was, as Liam said, caught up in the emotion. But then, but then in the, uh, if you remember in the press conference, uh, Tuchel, sorry to go back to the League Cup one, but when Tuchel said there is no sentiment, uh, I went, oh, okay, right. Now we know who he's going with. Um, does he start? <laughs> Thing is, I, I can see I can see Tuchel going, yeah, get him back out there straight away. You know, all these, you know, go make yourself a hero again. Go go be in another penalty shootout if Chelsea can't hit a barn door. You know, I, I can see him doing that. But, you know, like I said, I got it wrong last week. So what do I know? It's going to be Bettinelli, isn't it? <laughs> or, or, or just you know, just just round things off nicely, narrative wise. Bring Kepper off in the hundred and nineteenth minute, <laughs> on, and he can do the shootout. And then we can say, "Told you so." That he didn't save any of them. Um, Liam, Chelsea have been rather harshly described as a deluxe cup team in recent weeks, but but I note that they tend to lose a lot of domestic cup finals these days. It, it is what happened on Sunday put more emphasis on on the FA Cup this season, or is it still kind of? Top four, Champions League, FA Cup would be a nice addition. That's four in a row now, isn't it? That they've lost domestic cups. Um, yeah, I mean, every trophy you lose, particularly when you're already out of the title race, places greater importance on the ones you've got left. And they've got two more chances. Um, the FA Cup for years was an absolute bulwark of the Abramovich era every single year I remember especially around the sort of start of the 2010s they were in the final it seemed like every single season and winning it more often than not that has kind of dipped a little bit um, mainly thanks to Arsenal so if Chelsea can avoid Arsenal um, in the final this year maybe they've got a good chance actually are Arsenal still in it? Arsenal Arsenal lost in the third round to fellow two-time European champions okay well it's I mean it's (laughs) You just want to set that up for, to, to, to remind everyone, yeah. I threw it up, he dunked it. Um, yeah, so it's it's nailed on. Chelsea are going to win the FA Cup this year because Arsenal are already out. But um, And they still have a big chance in the, in the Champions League, don't they? They're in a good position after Lille. So they have two more shots. Tuchel is ultimately judged on trophies. Um, and I think they'll fancy their chances in both. Uh, Luton, by the way, beat Derby on Saturday to move into the Championship playoffs. They're flying under Nathan Jones. They've won their last three and six of their last seven in all competitions. And meanwhile, Norwich have tweeted this Monday morning that if either they or Chelsea win their fifth round ties, Norwich are playing Liverpool. Uh, the game between the Blues and the Canaries, scheduled for the 19th of March at Carrow Road, will move to Thursday the 10th instead. Uh, elsewhere in Chelsea news, an easy win for Chelsea in the FA Cup fifth round. They hammered Leicester 7-0 at Kings Meadow on Saturday. Leicester defender Sophie Howard sent off after only 17 minutes. Thereafter, Penilla Harder and Sam Kerr scored twice each. Anique Newen got her first Chelsea goal. Jiso Yun her first of the season. And Bethany England also helped herself to one at the quarterfinal 
is scheduled for the weekend of the 19th and 20th of March. Chelsea, of course, defending the trophy that they won in December. If you want to watch the quarterfinal draw and you're in the UK, obviously it's happening on Tuesday morning at quarter past nine on BBC One's morning live show. Um, so, yeah. Logic there, I guess. Uh, meanwhile, the under-18s threw to the semis of the FA Youth Cup. They were pushed all the way by Blackpool at Stamford Bridge, but eventually came out 3-2 winners. Um, Simon, you were there. Chelsea did all right. Blackpool were excellent in this game. I thought, Considering the level they play at, the Northwest Alliance League, they really, really pushed Chelsea hard. Yeah, I was really impressed with Blackpool. Um, and it took a brilliant save, um, didn't it, to prevent it from going 3-3 near the end. Um, had a great view of Harvey Vale's um, Hakim Ziyech tribute. Uh, it was it was the same, the same, but he did a little, you could argue it was a better, he actually usurped um, Ziyech's goal because he did a little jink beforehand just to get a little bit of space and then whipped it in that top corner. Um, no, it, I was really entertained. I was glad I was there. I sort of, um, I was working on some other things and just happened to be in the area, as you do. And I thought, why not? Why not go see the kids in action? And, um, yeah, it's great that they're through to another semi-final. Um, we're yet to uh, find out who they're going to play. I think it's time of... Time of uh, it will be either broadcast. Blackburn or Forest, and they play on Thursday. Yeah, and it's away from home, isn't it? Um, already been decided. Um, but, but yeah, no, it was. I, I thought Blackpool, you know, yeah, they lost, but I, I think out of the two sides, they came away with the most credit because few would have... Most would have expected Chelsea to just roll them over, but um, but no, they had to really fight for it to the to the last minute. Yeah, it was a Charlie Webster penalty which settled things eventually. The under-18s followed that up by beating Aston Villa 3-1 at Cobham on Saturday morning. Leaves them fourth in the under-18 PL South, five points behind the leaders. Southampton, the under-23s are in action this Monday night as we record. They play Everton. All right, as well as Adam Crafton's piece on the Abramovich sitch, you can also read Michael Cox on the League Cup final up on The Athletic now. Liam, we mentioned your piece on the Kepa-Mendy debate. What else are you going to be working on this week? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's basically all going to be sort of tracking where this Abramovich trustee's story goes. Um, I think there could be a few more twists and turns in it, both from inside Chelsea and outside Chelsea. Um, so we'll, we'll just have to see. Same for you, Simon? Yeah, with, with the uh, Luton Town game in between. <laughs> It'll actually, I'm expecting that to be a refreshing break, you know, football sort of actually being the, the reminder of what I'm doing this time. Oh, yes, the football's still on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a bit like this podcast. It's kind of like, you know, let, let, we'll deal with the main subject and then, oh, by the way, it was a League Cup final. You know, it's. I think that is basically going to be um, our lives for the foreseeable future. Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, Theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. As I say, if you want to stay informed on what could well be a momentous time for Chelsea Football Club, The Athletic is the best place to go to do just that. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday when we'll be reflecting on that game against Luton. We'll be looking ahead to what's to come at the weekend, which includes the League Cup final for the women's team. Do join us for that if you can. Until then, from all of us here, it's bye for now. The Athletic.